Our scripture this morning is from John 14, verses 15 to 31. If you've already read the scripture this morning, you can skip over this part. But if you have not, please hear the word of the Lord. John 14, 15 to 31. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live you also will live. In that day you will not in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? And not to the world. And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let us go to the word. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we are a people who are in need. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need the Spirit that it comes in your name to dwell inside of us richly, to heal us, to give us peace. Lord, we pray for our church. We pray for the decisions that we are making so that we can come and join and worship again together. Lord, guide our leaders as they make those decisions. Give them wisdom. Lord, give us patience as we make tough decisions. Lord, we pray for Tony Hunt. We pray for his knee. We continue to pray 
for Beth as she cares for him. Lord, heal him. Lord, we lift up Robert Osborne in the passing of his father. Lord, we rejoice that he knew you as Lord and Savior. We ask that you give a peace to their family that only comes from your spirit. We lift up Peggy Bauer. Give her healing. We pray for Billy Griggs. Sustain him. We pray for Claire Reddit and Dr. Lynch. Lord, may you heal their eyes. Lord, we pray for those in our congregation that have been affected by this virus. Whether taking away their work or giving them even more work. Lord, we pray that you bless the work of our hands for your glory. Lord, we pray for those in our church who suffer from depression and anxiety. Lord, we pray that you give them a sense of calm during this pandemic. Because if we look to the world around us, as your scripture says, they do not know your peace. But Lord, may you make your peace a reality for us through faith in the gospel. May we remind each other of this peace. It is utter, otherworldly. Lord, we pray for our marriages. We pray for our parents. We pray for our students. Lord, we pray for our children. Lord, we pray for those who are at a high risk of this virus. You know our needs even greater than we do. We pray that you protect us. Lord, we pray for our economy, for the small businesses in our community. We pray for our governor, Bill Lee, and the decisions that he's making. Give him wisdom. Give him discretion. Lord, put people beside him that are reminding him of the biblical wisdom that you have given us in the scriptures. We pray for our president, President Trump. Lord, may he lead with mercy. May he seek justice for all. May he seek unity. We pray for our senators, Alexander and Blackburn. We pray for our representative, representative, Mr. Kustoff. Lord, these leaders of ours you have put in these positions, and we ask you to bless them. We ask them that you lead them. And we ask of them that they lead with truthfulness. Lord, we can pray for you to eradicate this disease. We pray for your will to be done. But we pray 
for an urgency to preach the gospel. For the kingdom of God to have no bound. For the Spirit to be poured out on those who do not know you. That their hearts might be turned from stone into hearts of flesh in the promises of the gospel. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Over the past several weeks, John has continued to preach, keeping us within the context of Easter Sunday. One month ago, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on that day, we celebrated the triumph of Jesus over sin and death. And as I want us to see today, Jesus claimed victory over the ruler of this world, the devil, on that day. John has preached on the post-resurrection encounters that Jesus had with Thomas, on the penultimate appearance of Jesus at the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, speaking about the power of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And in continuing in this theme this morning, I want us to go farther back in the narrative in the Gospels of Jesus in His earthly ministry to when He spoke to His disciples about what would happen post-resurrection. How did He prepare His disciples for His departure? This week, we will see the celebration of Ascension Day on May 21st, 39 days after the resurrection and nine days prior to Pentecost Sunday, which is on May 31st in our 2020 calendar. What did Jesus teach his disciples about this time? How did he prepare them for his departure? And I believe we will find an answer. However, it is not the whole answer in John 14. You see, because John in chapter 14 tells us the story of what Jesus will do after he's resurrected from the dead. John 14 prepares the disciples for Pentecost because Jesus foretells of what will happen in these events so that they might believe in him. The Tony Awards, also known as the Antonetti Perry Award for Excellence in the Broadway Theater, recognizes excellences, the excellence in live Broadway theater. Categories include Best Performance by Lead Actor and Actresses, Best Features by Actor and Actresses, Best in a Play, Best in a Musical. But other categories also include the technical categories, Best Musical, Best Official Score, Best Orchestrations, Best Light Design, Best Costume Design, Best sound design. Now, a lot of these categories fall under the categories of what we would call a stagehand. 
A stagehand is a person that none of us are supposed to see during the play or musical. They work behind the scenes. You hear the music, but you are unconscious of what the music is doing. You see the lights, but you don't really think about what the lights are doing because you are focused on the main actors in the play. A stagehand, by definition, is to be unseen, yet they are always working. They are the unsung heroes of every play and production. This person has a selfless job. They're always pointing the light on somebody else. They're always making sure the microphone is on for somebody else. In our context, in our church, we have volunteers who are our stagehands, and they run the sound at our church. They often go unnoticed because they are supposed to be unnoticed. But when do we notice them? When they mess up. The only time you look at these people are when they mess up during the service, when a microphone isn't on, when it screeches, when the lights are supposed to be on but they're off, or the lights are on and they're supposed to be off, or the microphone is off and they're supposed to be on. Stagehands are supposed to be unnoticed. The only other time we ever notice a stagehand is when the lead actors and actresses take their bow. And then the supporting cast come and take their bow. And then the director come and takes their bow. And then the stagehands come. Then they are finally in the spotlight. And at the end of the play is the only time that the actors get to turn the spotlight to the stagehands. Because if it wasn't for them, they would not be in the spotlight, literally. In our passage today, Jesus, the main character of the entire drama of redemption, turns the spotlight from himself onto the divine stagehand, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has been working behind the scenes from the very beginning. Throughout the entire narrative of the Old Testament, he has been working and shining the spotlight on the main character of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we don't hear about him very much. The Holy Spirit is only spoken about every once in a while. Yet in the Old Testament, we hear how the Holy Spirit is focusing His people on the covenant God, Yahweh. Yahweh was who led them out of Egypt. Yahweh blessed David. Yahweh made the promises to the people that He would be their God and they would be His people. And however much I want to discuss the doctrine of the Trinity this morning and how its foundations are set within the Old Testament narrative, today I want us to focus on what Jesus wanted his disciples to focus on in John 14. 
that the promises of Jesus, of the coming Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Advocate, were His promises to God's people. That the context of this passage in John 14 is set in the shadow of the cross on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. And Jesus comes and He comforts His disciples. It's very much like how we prepare our children for the first time when we leave them with a babysitter. We tell them, I'm going to be back and and you're not going to fend for yourself. There will be someone here with you. And this is exactly what Jesus tells them. I will not leave you as orphans. We are not leave our children for the very first time by themselves as we go. But we must ask ourselves, what does life look like without Jesus physically present? And you might ask yourselves, well, I don't know what that is like because I've never had Jesus physically present with us. Yet I believe that we all can can admit our desire. Or we have somehow told ourselves how much easier the Christian life would be if Jesus was with us physically. How much easier it would be to obey Jesus if He was here with us. How much easier it would be to have faith if we could see Jesus with our own eyes if we could touch Him with our hands as Thomas did, if we could hear Jesus' words in our own, with our own ears, like we could even understand Him in Arabic. But what we tell ourselves is what the same thing the disciples knew to be a reality. It's going to be so much easier if Jesus would just stay with us. It would be so much easier to follow after Jesus if we could physically see Him. It would be so much easier to follow Jesus' commandments if He stood there watching us. I mean, think about it. For all of you who have been doing school at home, or all of you who actually do homeschooling, when you ask your child to do something, how much more likely are they to do it if you stand there and watch them do it? So often we ask our children to do something, and as soon as we walk away, they go do something else. How much more focused on our work would we be if we shared an office with our boss? How much more focused are we on tests when the teacher walks up and down the chairs, making sure that we are all being honest on our tests? All of us have experienced that feeling of doing something we shouldn't be doing, but then that person, whomever they are, walks into the room and our actions change in this instance. So it's not hard to understand why the disciples don't want Jesus to leave. We can easily put ourselves in their shoes, and if we were them, we would want the same thing, to hold on to Jesus physically. 
to be scared to lose our leader. But what we forget is that even if Jesus was with us physically, we still would falter. Even in the presence of Jesus, the disciples still said things they shouldn't have. Even with Jesus with them, the disciples did things they shouldn't have. Even with Jesus with them, the disciples still fought things they shouldn't have. But what Jesus does in this passage, what Jesus does with his disciples, is that in this time of uncertainty, in this time where the disciples could be consumed by fear, Jesus gives them peace. Jesus comforts them in their time of need. And how does he do this? Well, we will look in two different ways how Jesus comforts his disciples in this time of need. He comforts his disciples with the certainty of his promises, and Jesus comforts them with the certainty of his parting. Jesus comforts his disciples with the certainty of his promises. This passage is full of promises. And this is what friends do, right? Throughout John's gospel, Jesus describes himself as the friends of the disciples, and he describes the disciples as his friends. He calls Lazarus his friends. And friends give friends comfort before they leave. Friends make promises to other friends that they can keep. Yet what we all experience is that some friends let us down. Some friends make promises, even promises that they intend to keep, but yet such and such circumstance happened and they were unable to fulfill their promise. How has this happened to you? How has a friend let you down? How has your friend made a promise and was unable to keep it? How many of you have made promises to loved ones, to parents, to children, to spouses, to a coworker, but something has come up and you cannot fulfill your promise? Now, Sometimes I think it is okay to change what we promise. And I say that with some hesitancy, but for instance, if we promise to take our children to the park and yet our neighbor has a car accident in front of us, it would not be a neighborly thing to drive by them just so we can fulfill the promise to our children. It is okay to have some conditions on our promise because sometimes conditions change. Yet that is not what we see here with Jesus. He is not a friend that makes promises on certain conditions. He makes promises because he can certainly fulfill them. Jesus is in control of the circumstances of his death. He still comforts his disciples with the certainty 
that he can fulfill his promises. This is what Jesus says. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus is promising the disciples that God the Holy Spirit will be sent in his name by God the Father. He is making Trinitarian promises. Jesus has just said to him, said to them earlier in this chapter, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And yet now here he calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth, marking the Spirit as the one that comes from him. And here Jesus says that he will give them another helper, identifying that Jesus right now is their helper because he has been anointed with the Spirit back in John 3. He has been given the strength to fulfill the Father's will by the power of the Spirit indwelling him, and he has been helping them. But now he is giving them the helper that he has had so that they have the power to do the will of the Father. Jesus is going to send them the helper, the advocate, which will enable them to love him. It is the helper, the advocate, that enables the disciples to keep the commandments of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that will continue to teach the disciples after Jesus is gone. That's what Jesus says in verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all the things that I have said. The disciples continually called Jesus Rabbi. But yet here we see Jesus handing the disciples over to the Holy Spirit to be their new teacher. A teacher that would teach them all things. Now, contextually, this speaks highly of the authority of the twelve apostles and the influence that they had in writing and the inspiration of the Scriptures. Yet at the same time, we, as disciples of Jesus, have received this same teacher since Pentecost. And this is the good news of this passage. Jesus did not leave the disciples to their own strength, to their own agenda, under their own power. He is sending them an advocate who through the power in which Jesus had will strengthen them to fulfill their mission. But will also strengthen them to do what? To give them new life. These are the promises that Jesus are making to his friends. These are the promises that he is telling his disciples in the upper room. And these are the promises that are true for us. If we believe in Jesus, he promised to send us a helper because he knew we wouldn't have strength to do it. He promised to send us a helper because he knew we couldn't keep his commands under our own strength. And since Pentecost, 
we, the church, have been baptized by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit so that we can fulfill what God has called us to, to have faith in the gospel. Jesus says, those who receive his promises will love him through obedience. He promises the Holy Spirit will provide the means for obedience. Yet we must ask ourselves, are we resting in these promises of Jesus? How have we laid claim to these covenantal promises? How do we rest in the helper that has been given to us, that Jesus promised to send us? How are we showing our love for Jesus as we love our neighbors as ourselves? How are we showing that we love Jesus within our homes? How are we saying we believe in Jesus' promises by the way we live day to day? How do these promises give us comfort? Jesus promised his disciples, these are the things that are to come. He promised them what he would do. And he did it. He rose from the grave. And he poured upon them the spirit, the helper that he had promised. Because Jesus is the faithful one. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit is the stagehand of Jesus. He is at work now, even when we cannot see him, even when we cannot feel him. We know that he is at work. Because Jesus promised that he would be with us and that he would live inside of us. Jesus comforts his disciples with the certainty of his promises and their fulfillment. And Jesus comforts his disciples with the certainty of his departure. Of course, we look at this passage of Jesus' promises to be fulfilled But what must he do to fulfill them? He must leave. And as I said earlier, this is hard for the disciples to understand. Throughout all the gospel narrative, Jesus predicts his departure. And the disciples have a hard time understanding what he is talking about. And this happens to me pretty often. Since I've lived and moved to Fayette County, I've had more friends who hunt than I have ever had in my entire life. And one of my good friends here, Spence Halford, bless his heart. And this is one of those, really, bless his heart. Because I'm, actually, I'm not going to speak bad about him. This is a genuine bless his heart. As I often try to talk to many of you about what you do, I find myself very often asking Spence about his hunting. I try to talk shop and bless Spence's heart because about two sentences into every conversation, 
I'm lost. I have no idea what he is talking about. And the reason I say bless Spence's heart and what I love about Spence is that he knows it. He knows I have no idea what he's talking about. Yet he still entertains my questions. He still answers me. And up to this point in this narrative, Jesus has been telling his disciples what he is going to do, but they have not been able to understand what he is preparing. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am leaving, and for that reason you should rejoice. Because when I leave, that is when the Helper will come to you. The disciples are to rejoice because Jesus is going to the Father. The disciples are to rejoice because that is when they receive the peace of Christ. They are to rejoice because that is when the Father will dwell in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will not leave them as orphans. It was for their benefit that Jesus was going to the Father. It is for our benefit that we cannot see Jesus because we have the helper, the advocate living inside of us. He is the one whom God the Father, through God the Son, planned to send us because he knew that is that would meet our deepest need. It is God the Holy Spirit who enables us to love Jesus. It is God the Holy Spirit who enables us to keep the commandments, to keep Jesus' words. It is God the Holy Spirit who enables us to become alive in Christ. It is Him who helps us in our time of trouble because He is here with us living inside of us, dwelling among us. If you ever feel like your prayers are not being lifted up, that they're just going to the ceiling and coming right back down to you, that is okay because the Spirit is here with us, interceding for us, lifting our inadequate prayers to the Father. This is why Jesus can tell His disciples, do not be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. Because my promises are true. The Spirit is inside of you. When we read this passage, we can see the uncertainty of the disciples. But Jesus gives them reason to believe because He is faithful. In our passage, We see cause for uncertainty. Yet four days later, the disciples would see Jesus with clarity. So that those who doubted, even Thomas, would see that Jesus fulfills his promise. And the advocate, the helper, would come to them in the name of the risen Christ. We rejoice because Jesus is with the Father interceding for us. And we rejoice because Jesus is filling us with the promised Holy Spirit. How do these promises of the gospel help you 
in this time of uncertainty? How does the faithfulness of the triune God give you peace when it seems like things are in chaos? And if you're not in a time of uncertainty, if you feel that this world is in chaos for no good reason, how is the Spirit giving you peace and love for those around you? In closing, there is also within this passage a very stark contrast that John provides between those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. Six times in this passage we read of the world. None of them are spoken of in a positive term. It is the world who cannot receive the spirit of truth. It is the world who will not who will not know him. It is the world who will not see him. It is the world who he will not reveal himself to. It is the world who does not love him or keep his words. It is the world who will not receive the peace of Christ. And as much as I want to talk about the world in the time of Jesus, or even our world in the present context, we must see the point that John is trying to make in his narrative as an evangelist. All of these promises are true for them if they come to believe in Jesus. That is, that's, that's the point. That's the point of all of these things happening. This is what Jesus says in verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. If a non-believer reads this text, or happens to hear this sermon, or any other sermon, and does not see, and has not heard, and has not received the peace of Christ, if you do not know the love of Jesus, what this text calls you to do is come to him by faith, and he will send the one that you need. These, th these things have taken place so that we might hear and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, our Savior, and that he is inside of us through the power of of his spirit, so that we may do his work. This morning we are singing a new song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And this is a new song that John and I both wanted to introduce. And what I love about this song is that it reminds us that the Holy Spirit is the true stagehand of the Bible. It is the Holy Spirit who is always pointing us to Jesus and not to his own work. He is the divine stagehand working behind the scenes, always pointing and shining the light on Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord live his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all of God's people said,
Amen.